um, I think we need to talk. That's just like we talked about with a girlfriend. That's never a good thing. Uh, but I, I've got a couple of things. We are going to start back uh, next Sunday will be the 9th. August 9th is when the elders had said we would come back and start restart Sunday school. Um, so I met with the staff this week and, and essentially said uh, to them that we need to plan and think and work in such a mindset that this is the new normal. Okay, the reality is, is that we may come back next week, and then the next week there'll be a bunch of COVID cases in Coleman, and we have to go back to plan A. Um, so what I want us to do as a church is recognize that the time to say, well, in a few weeks we'll see, and then in a few weeks is over. We've got to be about building God's kingdom now. Because here's the reality. We will give an account to Jesus for what we did with our time. And I sat in my house waiting on the government to tell me that it was okay to do your work is not an acceptable answer. It's not an acceptable answer for you, and it's not an acceptable answer for me. So if we do, so next week will be more or less normal. We want to make sure that everybody hand sanitizes, everybody puts a mask on, that we're smart, but... We're going to go back, we'll have children's church, we're going to do our normal stuff. If in two or three weeks, and this is primarily for those of you who aren't here, uh, we have to go back to this. If you have kids, come to church. You're taking your kids to Walmart. You're taking your kids to school now. Come to church. Show your children that God is important to you. Okay, to those of you who are here. If there's some mommies and daddies here and they've got some young'uns and the young'uns start crying or pitching a fit, get over it. Everywhere else on earth, the way church is done is there's kids running around everywhere. I have literally in India preached before, and I'm up against a wall preaching because the room is cram-packed with people, and there's little kids that are playing with my toes because they've never seen ugly white people toes before. And kids running around everywhere, and kids going, Mama, I need this, and kids running over here, and kids throwing things, because kids are going to be kids, right? Anywhere on earth. So if we have to come back together, and there's kids here, and some kid goes, ah, you know what, grow up. You were a parent. You remember when that happens. And if mommies have to take the kid out, don't turn around and look at them like, I think it took you long enough. <laughs> All right, so... Here's the thing. We already have an infrastructure in place that we can love on each other and serve each other in our Sunday school and small groups. So if we have to, to break again, what I want us to do and what we talked to the staff to do is I want, we've got to continue getting together. Everybody that I've talked to right now, they're in a, this whole flipping country is in a bad mood. Why? Because we've been separated from each other. In the church and out of the church. We know better. Jesus specifically said, hey, you know what? Don't stop meeting together. Now, we don't have to be stupid. We don't have to get 500 people in a room and all smooch. We don't have to all cough in our, each other's face just to prove that God's powerful enough to protect us. So let's, in our mind, think, okay, this was 2021, 2020 for the first year, half of the year stunk. It was terrible. I hated it. Now we're moving on we got a kingdom to build. 
Because you know what? There are people still dying and going to hell. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who right now are struggling. They're struggling with depression. They're struggling with anger. They're struggling with pornography. They're struggling with on and on and on and on. And you know what they need? You know what the solution is? The solution isn't a good preacher. Because Lord knows if that's the case, North Glencoe's in trouble. The solution is that we as brothers and sisters in Christ speak truth into each other's lives. And we got to get back to getting, getting back. So those of you at home, I love you. Thank you for watching. Get in church. Now, if you're vulnerable and you truly do have health issues and it would be unsafe for you to come to church, can please continue to watch. But otherwise, if you're just afraid, again, recognize you're going to Walmart, you're going to Pizza Hut. Well, nobody's going to Pizza Hut anymore. Um, you're going to restaurants, you're going to work, you're going, you're going out. So God isn't as important as baseball. God isn't as important as everybody in here is clamoring. We need to get back to football. We need to start clamoring. We need to get back to serving God. Okay, so that's the first thing. I love you. I'm not trying to be ugly. As my mom said, don't you be ugly. Um, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I, I'm just trying to speak truth. In that vein, I would like us as a church, I want to call us as a church to fast. I know in the world that we live in today, fasting is something that's rarely ever talked about. Okay, so the idea of fasting is this, that we don't eat for a day. In rabbinical training, the way it worked was sundown to sundown. But we're, we're, not, we're, we're not Jewish. I, when I fast, so Saturday is when I'm calling us to fast, I will stop eating Friday night, and I will eat again, uh, not eat again until Saturday night. Now, Jesus specifically says, when you fast, do not walk around and go, oh, I'm so hungry because I'm just loving Jesus and fasting. <laughs> Don't go to your family reunion and say, well, I would have some of those deviled eggs, but you know, we're fasting. No, just act normal. Now, some of you, I know, cannot fast because you're taking medication and the medication says, take with food. And if you take it without food, you're going to be throwing up. I can't, can I say throw up? I can't say puke, but I can say throw up. Got it. Okay. Um, you'll be throwing up or you'll be nauseous. That's okay. Here, let me walk you through why fasting is about food. In third century BC, your day was consumed with preparing, getting ready for food. You went out and you fed the chickens and you fed the cows. You gathered the eggs. You got wheat and it was just looked like grass. And so you took it and you put it on something and you beat it and then you threw it in the air so the husk came off and then you took it to a rock and you ground it down to make flour and then you put, took the flour. And so all of your waking moments were so that you didn't starve to death. Thank you, Lord, that we don't live that way now. If the men folk would be out, uh, some of you remember when, we, when you get a, when we get a chill in there, you'll remember in the fall of the year, killing a hog. We didn't kill pigs, we killed hogs. You'd kill a hog. So the purpose of fasting is, is that that day that normally would be consumed with acquisition of, preparation of food, now we've said, nobody eats, we're going to focus on God, which means that as maybe you can't fast from food. You, Daniel fast is fasting from tasty foods. 
Maybe what you're going to do is you're going to say that today I'm going to eat some shredded wheat, because nobody likes shredded wheat. Uh, I'm going to eat some shredded wheat so that I can take my pills, but I'm not going to eat anything else, and I'm going to take today and focus on the Lord. For me, when I'm fasting, that means the cell phone is turned off. That I'm not sitting there during the mealtime going, oh my gosh, I got three hours left while I'm scrolling. I turn the phone off and put it away. I take my iPad, I turn it off and put it away. And that day is consumed with focusing on whenever I think, oh dear Lord, I'm hungry. I think my stomach is eating the back of my body. That, that, that thought drives you to go, Lord, I'm praying for the people that I'm around. God, I pray for this community. God, I pray for our leadership in the, in the government. God, I pray for wisdom as we as a church move forward. God, I pray for my neighbor that they would get saved. God, I pray. So hunger drives us to prayer. That we're in God's word and we're praying. And so I'm asking that Saturday we pray. That we don't just pray that we get through this. God never called us to just be victorious. We are more than conquerors. I am praying that God would use COVID and the, the unrest in this country and the stuff that's going on around us to build his kingdom so that on that day as people gather around the throne and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain, there are people that right now are bound to a devil's hell who on that day will be praising the lamb that was slain. That's what we're praying for, that God would use everything that's going on in our country right now, everything going on in your life right now. Because I know there are people in this room that have no idea what their life's going to look like in three months, and it scared them to death. In those scenarios, pray, God, use me. Build your kingdom through this situation. And so Saturday, we as a church are going to fast, and we're going to pray that God would use us and use this situation to build his kingdom. So, uh, what did we talk about, Stephanie? Everybody getting together, be a jerk about coming to church and um, fasting. Anything else? Did I miss anything? I'm looking. No. Okay. So turn your Bible to the book of Luke. Now, this is a story that almost always gets preached on the week before Easter, right? This is Palm Sunday. We have celebrated this since there's been Christians, as Palm Sunday. And so as we come, move through the book of Luke, we've just finished Luke's teaching that Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost. Last week we saw the, the parable of the ten minas, which nobody had ever even heard of before. Uh, and I honestly believe that is Luke summing up Jesus' teaching. This is Jesus' teaching in one parable, Now let's go to Holy Week. And so the rest of our time in Luke, we will be in Holy Week. Jesus does continue to teach. Jesus is going to continue to do stuff. But we've stepped off into the week before Jesus has died. This story is super important. Every gospel, uh, really, you want face ID? You don't know who I am yet? Uh, Every gospel shares this. Matthew 21, Luke 19, Mark 14, John 12, all have this story. It is super important. In fact, 
We sing a song. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You all, you all know the song. This is the day. This is the day. That prophecy in Psalm 118 is not about any old day that there is. It's about this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. This has been prophesied from Haggai, Habakkuk. This has been prophesied from long ago. The king is coming. When Eve and Adam fell in the garden, God looked at them. Christophany was Jesus. Looked at them and said, from your seed, someone is coming that will crush the serpent's head and he will bruise their heel. To Abram, he said, someone is coming through your seed, through which all the world will be blessed. David was told, from your throne that I establish forever will come a king who will rule with a rod of iron. To Solomon, he said, I have established the throne of your, your father David forever. There was no doubt that from the seed of Abram, from the seed of David, someone was coming who would be king. It's spoken of over and over and over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. So much so that the Israelites thought we can do whatever we want to do because David's throne's established forever. I know that God said, I set before you a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey me, a curse if you disobey me, but he also said that David's throne will endure forever, so... Let's throw down. Let's partay. Let's get us some false gods and put them in the temple. Let's do what we want to do. Jeremiah said, you say to yourself, the temple of God, the temple of God, the temple of God. Because they were saying, we can do whatever we want to do. God built his temple in Jerusalem. He's never going to let anything happen here. Now, God did exactly what he said he was going to do, where he said, I set before you a blessing and a curse. Blessing if you obey me, a curse if you disobey me. And so that temple came crashing to the ground. All those beautiful golden implements that were set aside for the worship of God were carried off. The children of Israel themselves were carried off so that they sang by the rivers of Babylon. We read in the book of Ezra that when that new temple's foundation was laid, Many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard from far away. What a sad, pathetic sight. The old men who had seen the beauty of Solomon's temple see this pathetic little temple that's being built and they're weeping. They're saying, you've got to be kidding me. This is all we can do. This is so sad. And the young men who had lived in Babylon who had never seen a house of the Lord was like, woohoo, God's brought us home. Israel number one, woo. So that the shouts of joy and the weeping were mingled and you couldn't tell the difference. Haggai, in his, his admonition to the people of Israel, says, work, 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 keep building. And why? For thus says the Lord of hosts, yes, once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, 
and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. So Haggai is telling the, the ch- pe- children of God, keep working. In fact, this temple is going to be more glory-filled than the last temple. But those of us who have read history hear that and go, but wait. That temple was kind of run down and then rebuilt up by a guy who wasn't even a Jew using Roman money, so I guess the heavens being shaken and the money of all the other nations coming in, part of the prophecy came true. But the Holy of Holies in that temple, all the way up to the time that Titus destroyed it in 70 AD, was an empty room. Whereas the old temple had the beautiful Ark of the Covenant in it, and in, on, when Solomon dedicates the temple, that Ark of the Covenant has the literal Shekinah glory of God in the form of a great column of fire settled on top of that ark that's God's glory this new temple you go to the holy of holies and it's an empty room the 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 high priest literally walked into an empty room and spread the blood because there was no ark any longer it was lost so how is the glory of the second temple greater than the first How is this prophecy fulfilled? Because that second temple ain't there. In 70 AD it was taken literally because the mortar uh, was made of gold. The Roman soldiers built fires outside of the wall so that that mortar would get soft. They could peel the gold out and they pushed every stone off of the, the building so that now the only thing left on that western wall is actually the retaining wall. It's not the building itself. There's nothing left. When did the glory of God, was it greater in that second temple? That doesn't make sense. Ah, but we read a story in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, in that former temple, even though it had the Ark of the Covenant, even though the Shekinah glory of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant, only one person a year could see it. Only one person a year got to go in before it. In this second temple, the very person of God and the second person of the Godhead was brought into that temple. And not only was God himself in that temple, but he broke down the walls of enmity between us and God. And he and he alone truly brought peace. And so the glory of the second temple did outshine the first. And that that second temple housed our Savior on multiple occasions. So we fast forward from that little baby being held by Simeon with tears in his eyes. Thirty some odd years later, 
The children of Israel are desperately waiting for Rome to be overthrown. And they had read all the same prophecies that we have read. They're thinking about that ruling with a rod of iron, and in their mind, it's getting rid of these guys. Oh, the arrogance of the children of Israel at that time. Remember when Jesus was teaching and one of the Pharisees said, We are the children of Israel. We bow to no one. Jesus must have had to fight back a laugh. Really? Because for the last 600 years, you bowed to everybody. Greeks come through, you bow. You invited the Romans to come into this city because you couldn't get along with each other. Have you lost your mind? You don't bow and eat anybody? And the children of Israel labored under an occupied force. Literally, it was the case, if you were going to the store, you were going to buy milk for your baby, you were going down to buy a goat, or whatever you were doing, if a Roman soldier said, you, come here. I need you to carry my pack. By law, you had to stop what you were doing and carry his pack for a mile. If they wanted what was yours, they would take it. They would walk into a village and say, my soldiers are hungry. All y'all are about to be hungry because we're going to eat everything you've got. I need a horse. That one looks good. And the children of Israel, as they tried to scrap and survive, had to live underneath this Roman rule. And so they're seeing the prophecies in Psalm 118, seeing the prophecies of Ezra being fulfilled as the king comes into Israel, riding on the foal, even the foal of a donkey, and they yell out exactly what was said in Psalm 118 for their Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They fulfilled the prophecy. They cut down palms and they put them on the road so that the king wouldn't have to ride on that. They put their coats down so that the king rode on a smooth surface and they celebrated. The king is coming. The king is here. And in every one of their minds, what they're thinking is Rome is done. Nobody's going to walk into my house again and say, I'm spending the night here. You need to find someplace else. No more can they tell me what to do because there's going to be a king in Israel and he's going to run these suckers out. Woo! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They cheered. I can picture this scene. As you travel from Bethany through Bethphage toward Jerusalem, you're just on these back chalky, dusty roads, wooded back and forth they would go. And then when you top that hill at the Mount of Olives, all of a sudden Jerusalem is laid out in front of you. Now, it's a parking area. Susie carried me and Jeff to it. It was like, as we're driving to it, I'm thinking the whole time, where are we going? What are we doing? Because it just, it's just apartments and buildings. And then you roll into this parking lot and then go to the top of the hill, and boom, it's the most beautiful scene of Jerusalem laid out in front of you. Jesus tops that hill, and the crowds are waiting. Remember, Jesus is moving with a crowd. We've already seen that. And as they top that hill, the people down in the valley who've lined the roads through the Mount of Olives, they see the crowd top the hill. Woo! The roar rolls through. We've all been at football games when that's happened, right? When the team runs out on the field and you're talking to your friend, all of a sudden the mood changes. 100,000 people are looking in one spot. They're looking to see over all the football players, see if Nick's come out yet. 
The roads are lined all the way down the Mount of Olives, and all of a sudden the crowd's like, he's here, he's here, he's here. Oh, and he's even, dude, because they all read their Bible, he's on the back of a donkey. The king has come, just like he said he was. The Pharisees were livid when they heard what they were saying because they knew they were, what they were chanting was directly out of the Old Testament. They were celebrating the Messiah's arrival. And those Pharisees and those Sadducees knew that if Rome heard a king was coming, they would deal with it. And they're trying to calm everybody down. Make them shut up. If this gets out, you know what kind of trouble this is going to start? And Jesus looked at him and said, you know what? If they didn't say anything, the rocks would cry out because it's been prophesied that this is, would be saying. God will do what he said he would do. And the crowd ignored the Pharisees and chanted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The king has come. And then Jesus turns around and goes home. He goes back to Bethany. He didn't march into Jerusalem and take the throne. He doesn't take the crowd that's been whipped into a frenzy and take out the legion or the, the small garrison of Roman soldiers that were there. They could have done that. This is a guy who literally has already in their presence walked up to blind people and said, you ain't blind no more. And they saw. This is a guy who walked up to people who had been crippled from birth and said, you know what? Get up, pick up your bed and get out of here. And they did. This is a guy who took a Lunchable and fed 5,000 people. If he wanted to throw out a little Roman garrison, he could do it. And they knew it. Because somebody that can look at a blind person and say, you ain't blind anymore, can do something. The disciples were there when Jesus looked at a thunderstorm and said, shut up. And it did. This guy is about to take over. Everybody's excited. The crowd is whipped into a fury. We can do this. It's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. And then he goes home. And in fact, just a week from now, another crowd that's gathered would be in just a frenzy shouting, crucify him. Probably some of the same people. God has never in my life, in my personal experience, done anything the way I thought it was going to be done. I mean, I think it was Mark Twain said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yesterday, Ann and I went to Coleman where I stood out on, at the farm on my back porch and said, I'm going to be buried on the top of that hill. I'm never leaving this place. And now, whoever owns it's got a fence around, I can't even get on the property. And how often are we just like that crowd? How many times have we stood in this room and sang God's praises and then going home and treated our spouse like crap. How many times have we 
gotten up from praying for somebody and then acted like the devil. As I was preparing for this, it's obviously this is a sermon that I've preached every year for 15 years of ministry. I was going through some of my old prayer journals. And I pulled out one from the 90s. And I was reading through it. And that's always fun to see where God answers prayer, right? Because one of the things that I prayed for was that God would protect Anne during her pregnancy. And he did. And that, in fact, that kid that was just a couple of, uh, of cells in Anne's body is now uh, an adult, driving a car, will not get out of my house, still eating my food. But God answered that prayer. But in that same prayer journal, I'm praying for God to help me overcome sins that I'm still struggling with. I read through that and I felt like Paul in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of sin? When am I going to be done with this flesh? Oh, the wretched man that I am. I am just like the children of Israel. I cry out, whoa, God, yeah, God. Whoa, God, yay. Whoa, God. Hosanna, Hosanna, you're awesome, God. Yes, I love you. And then when he doesn't do things the way I want him to do it, fine, I'll do it my way. Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? I don't, I don't have the guts to say that out loud, but I say it with my actions. Because when we disobey, when we do what we want to do, we're just telling God, right? I mean, I, I, okay, this is me showing you into my heart a little bit. I've really struggled with the mask thing. Every time I get out of my truck, I walk to the store, put my hand on the door, read the sign, and go, and then storm back to the truck, just stupid mask, and put it on, and then I, and I, and I'm, 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 Thinking unchristlike thoughts. Let's just put it that way. How many times have I looked at my kids and said, I don't care if you like my rules or not. You do what I tell you to do, and you do it immediately. Kids, can you say it with me? Immediately, completely, and joyfully. And Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, still in my Bible. I don't want to do it. You know, it's like the little kid who the dad said, sit down. And when the dad stood up and said, I said, sit down. The little boy sat down and said, but I'm still standing on the inside. Right? I'm not wearing this mask on the inside. I'm breathing all over y'all. <laughs> I want God to do what he does my way. And I want him to do it now. When my plans fall apart, when I get called into HR's office to say, uh, I think we're going to have to let you go. No, God. No. This isn't in the plan. We got a broke down washing machine and my car's lifters are sticking. Right now is not the time, God. Don't you know that? And when God doesn't do it my way, I can real quickly shift from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him. I want a God that will do what I want him to do the way I want him to do it. I want it now. 
But thankfully, Luke has for 19 chapters hammered home the reality that God sent his son for one purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost. And that includes you and me. So we lean on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We lean not on what we can do, but what he has done. We lean on the work of the door and the great shepherd and the bread and the I am. Because without him, we can do nothing good. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. God, help us to come to you for you, not what you can do for us. God, forgive me for how often I have come to you waiting for you to act the way I want you to act and to do what I want you to do. Lord, help me to be humble and obedient and to do what you've called me to do. And God, I pray for this church that we would have the guts and the grace to build your kingdom in a very difficult time. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go serve your king.